Now I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where we will read from verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 10. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've learned to accept that the Bible is rich and deep, filled with grace from God as it is proclaimed and read, filled with passages of God's love and grace that virtually put me to sleep in the arms of Jesus, who says to us, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We can relax around God. We can be at peace in his presence. But I have learned also that the Bible is filled with truth like this. In verse 1, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. One of the key things about maturity in reading the Bible is that we don't dumb the Bible down. That we don't take every passage and reduce it to, oh, well, that's what that other passage was saying. But that we allow a multiplicity of witness come to us. That we can relax in the presence of God because reconciliation has been made. But that we must seek to serve God. That we would not receive the grace of God in vain. Rest in the grace of Christ, but never presume upon the grace of Christ. As if that grace, that love, that undeserved favor of God leaves you as a limp, raggedy Ann 
a Raggedy Andy doll with no spine and no call and no purpose in your life. God has something for you to do. And he gives this call today with urgency. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. First, verse 1, the urgent warning. Verse 2, the urgency of this day, an accepted day of salvation. And verse 3 through 10, the urgency of not giving offense, avoiding blame in ministry. So first, the urgent warning not to receive the grace of God in vain. The Apostle Paul is filled with passionate pleading as we go from the end of 5 into the beginning of verse 6. In 5.20 he says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Yes, that plea comes with the heart of Paul. You can imagine him weeping. I'm imploring you, don't go into a Christless eternity. And then he provides the how-to, how are you reconciled with God, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We trust that we have peace with God. That's reconciliation. We have peace because the guilt of our sin is placed upon the sinless one and the righteousness of the obedient Christ is credited to us. And once this great exchange has happened, peace is possible. By faith in Christ, we're in the clear. No more guilt and right before God. We are found in him, the last two words in chapter 5. But Paul makes a further appeal in verse 1, and he claims to be a worker with God. He calls himself a worker with God because God has made him an ambassador. He got his commission, his particular commission, on the road to Damascus when he was called to be saved and to go bring the gospel to the Gentiles particularly. But he also is speaking as a worker together with others who are at his side, like Timothy and Titus, people who are pastors. And I, as a pastor, am a co-worker with God. It is a very humbling thing to stand before you today and to claim to be an ambassador. And I pray that I shall do the word justice. And I pray that you shall hear it as coming from God. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you Another thing, not only get saved, but live saved. Not only get saved, according to verse 21, but live in a saved way. I plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, what does that mean, to receive the grace of God in vain? Well, one thing that this sentence does not mean is that we can receive the grace of God in vain and lose our salvation. If we truly receive the grace of God, and that gift is given only by the Holy Spirit, 
we will not lose it. For Paul writes in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And Christ said in John 10 and verse 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. If Christ gave lost sinners a life which was eternal, but then could be lost, it could hardly be said to be eternal life. So what does it mean? It doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation. If God has sovereignly saved us from start to finish, he's not going to stop in the middle. But what it does mean is that we are going to come to the judgment seat of Christ, mentioned in 5 verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, these Corinthians had been saved under the preaching of the true gospel by Paul, but they had been infected with a glorying in gifts and a glorying in human wisdom, which threatened to derail the faith of many. Rather than focusing on Christ in humility, they puffed themselves up with the Spirit's gifts, and they sought to preach in words of eloquent human wisdom. And what Paul is saying is this is not the way to serve Christ. And this is not the way you are going to be found with rewards at that judgment seat of Christ. They were preaching a different gospel, as we see in 11.4 of 2 Corinthians. Hughes writes, for them to receive the grace of God in vain meant that their practice did not measure up to their profession as Christians. That their lives denied that Christ died for them. Nobody could see it on the way they lived. And that it denied that Christ lived, died for them so that those Christians could live for Christ. If you live for Christ in your everyday life, your foundation will be in Christ. If you turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you'll read there these very important words I referred to about a month ago, which speak of the foundation being Christ, verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of our salvation. That is the basis by which anyone gets into heaven. That's the solid rock upon which we stand. But then he goes on. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Have you ever seen pictures of a great 
glaze that goes through one of those Midwestern towns where they build the houses on slabs rather than foundations. You, sometimes you see the tornadoes go through. I've seen the remains of a fire that goes through, and all that's left is the slab. Do you want your life like that? Do you want nothing to show for your decades of life of service for Christ? That there was no one saved because you witnessed to them. No one touched with love because you loved them. No one who was curious about who Jesus is because you typed in a regular fashion in the typing pool, as we saw in the Sunday school lesson. Is there anyone who saw your life and said, I wonder what makes her tick? And does it have anything to do with me? Your life can be left as the burned over hay, wood, and straw, or the fire can pass over you, and gold, silver, precious stones will remain. And as I told you several weeks ago, my view of that is that your character conformed to Christ remains. The inward man, the inward woman is being built up day by day even as the outer man wastes away. As Dr. Ferguson said, what's going to remain when you go to heaven? It's the inside out. It's the inner man, the inner woman conformed to Christ that's just going to come out and be visible to all. And it's the humblest servant, the most uh, person that we doesn't think have a big role who could have the most Christ-like character of them all. I call you today to be sure that your salvation, your grace received is not in vain. The Bible says in 517, it says, behold, all things have become new. And then in 6.2, Paul says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The second point is the urgency of this day, an accepted day of salvation. You see, Paul says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation in response to an Old Testament prophecy. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. We are those who have called out to God. We have asked for help. If you look in the original, uh, if you look at that word, I've heard you. There are many people here who have called out to God. We need help. But are we listening to God as he speaks to us in the word? And he says, I've given you help. That help is in Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And are you receiving it? Are you receiving that life? And are you living according to that life so that people other than yourself may know of Christ through you? There was a time when a cousin of my wife's out in Iowa told me about a terrible surgery that he needed. He, his hand was crushed in a farm accident. He needed reconstructive surgery. He was going into the operating theater or the operating room, and he asked the doctor, Doc, will I be able to play the guitar after you're done? 
And the doctor sort of said, yeah, sure, you're going to be all right. And he said, great, I never played guitar in my life. And I want to say to you, some of us take that attitude toward God. You see, we ask God to help us, and we're expecting things on the other side, like my cousin did, that really are nothing to do with the surgery he's doing. You see, the surgery he's doing upon us is that we would be those who are made holy. And as we are made holy, we become happy. Holiness first, happiness second. And that we go then on to serve and to suffer for Jesus. Whereas my cousin was joking with the surgeon about playing the guitar on the other side of an accident, we sometimes seriously, seriously say, okay, God, I want the health. I want the wealth. I want that prosperity that I never had. And if I sign on with you, God, won't you give it? Well, there's a lot of TV preachers who will tell you that line. They will share that promise, which is felonious. It is not true. It is not the destiny of every Christian to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. Rather, we need to submit ourselves to what God offers us. We need to be serious about a relationship with Christ. Our God is so great. Our God is so great. And are we ready to rest in his greatness and his view of our life and trust him to do what he wants in our life? You know, there's a sense of urgency here. Now's the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Move ahead now in service of Christ. Move ahead now in your sanctification, having received Christ. Trust in him to transform you into the servant he wants you to be. Now, there's some dangers of delaying. The first is a practical danger. You could die any day. You could die tomorrow or driving out of this driveway. And would you like it if at that point your life for Christ has instead been a life lived for yourself and there's no impact in eternity through rewards of a godly character in eternity? You know, 4,000 Indians died every day at the end of the week from COVID. 25 people died in a bridge collapse in Mexico. And dear ones to whom we used to sing and preach the word at the Glens Falls Center in our Thursday afternoon song service and scripture service have died. And we don't know their destiny. Do you want your Christian life to be a waste when you die? Just as by fire you are brought into heaven? Now is the time to receive the grace of God and to live for Christ. Put Christ's priorities first and allow him to unwrap the purpose for your life. The second problem with thinking that we're in the driver's seat is theological. You see, God has performed his work of salvation, the atonement in verse 21 of chapter 5. God has called us to live for him. If you go back in verse 15 of chapter 5, 
that we should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Our engagement with Christ may be, must be rooted in his word. And the key point of sanctification is that we make much of God and that we make little of ourselves. Our Sunday school teacher asked the question, what do you think about? Where does your mind drift when you have nothing else on your mind? Is it that you're thinking about the New York Yankees? Is it that you're thinking about the Boston Red Sox? Is it that you're thinking about how much more money you can make in the stock market on this current bull run that we're in right now? Or are you, is the drift of your heart and the drift of your life Christ, God revealed in Christ? Is your heart in his hands as you come daily to him in devotions, reading the scriptures, praying, using the monthly prayer sheet to intercede for the saints here at Redeemer. We think ourselves to be in the driver's seat. And I will get serious about Jesus some other day. But if that's the case, we're missing the key point to make much of God. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Come to Christ and come today resolving, as we see in verse 1, to serve Jesus, that you would not receive the grace of God in vain. When Paul preached to King Agrippa, he gave the gospel. And King Agrippa said in Acts 26, 28, you almost persuade me to become a Christian Paul replied, it would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Are you altogether like Paul? Are you devoted to his service? You may say, I'm not meant to be an apostle, but you are meant to be a servant of Christ. As a mother in your home, as a father in your home, as a professional in the workforce, as a laborer in the workforce, as someone who simply wants to retire well and finish well. Please come to this urgent acceptance of God's agenda for your life. And then think of the urgency and responsibilities of leaders in the church and Christians in general. The urgency of not giving offense and to avoid blame to the ministry. You see, the issue is in verse 3, that there were all these critics of Paul in Corinth, and they were going to blame him for the ministry. They were going to belittle him because he preached a theology of the cross, that we are identifying with Christ in his suffering before we, at the, res at the second coming of Christ, will identify with Christ in his glory. They had a premature theology of glory, that everything was meant to be glorious now, and that went with the gifts that they wanted to show, and that went with the powerful expressions of their preaching and their leadership skills. Unlike that, Paul says, no, I'm not going to give offense in anything, 
and the ministry will not be blamed, but rather I will endure and commend myself as a minister of God in this way. And the key words are, in much patience, which can be translated in great endurance. Endurance or patience is a translation of the Greek word hupomone. Hypo is a hypodermic needle. It goes under the skin. Hypomone is to be under and to remain under whatever sovereign providence God has brought into your life. You will remain under it and you will endure it in faith in Jesus Christ, whether it is illness or family affliction or conflict or joy. You're not going to be a killjoy that says, man, I'm having too much fun here. I better go find some misery. No, you will remain under whatever God gives you. And that hupomone is the animating power of all the rest of the verses. As uh, Hughes quotes John Stott at this point, John Stott was the great evangelical pastor at All Souls, and he uh, had this attitude toward his conflicts. He had many conflicts in the liberal Ang Anglican church that he was in, and he stood with the evangelicals. And he struggled with this issue of endurance. He said, well, the first temptation I have is to run away. Not to give in on the point, but to, uh, what is that word? Oh, leave. <laughs> I sometimes say my favorite text is from Psalm 55. Oh, for the wings of a dove that I may flee away and be at rest. Stock continues, so I found this constant controversy, this constant battling for the truth to be very wearing, unquote. Do you ever just want to go away? Stott stayed, and the church was blessed because of it. The women received a commentary that was used in the last Wednesday night session from his pen, and many leaders were nurtured in his teaching. Don't leave. Instead, have an abundant enduring. That word here of much is an abundance of enduring. And first, the third, the three, four ways are in your sermon outline. The first way is in the area of general troubles, that we would endure in general troubles like tribulations and needs and in distresses, as it says there. In verse 4, Jesus said himself in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. And I'm saying to you, endure. Endure the tribulations that come your way simply because you are part of the human condition. And you are also serving Christ and the devil may seek to make circumstances go against you with the permission of God as a test to your faith. And there's another trio of troubles. He writes in five, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults. These are troubles from others. Other people are whipping me and leaving stripes on my back. Other people are imprisoning me. And other people are inciting riots against me. 
And Paul received five times at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one, and then three times he was beaten with rods. He was jailed in Philippi, and then at the Mamertine prison. He experienced riots in Poseidon, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, Jerusalem, and Acts, where the whole crowd is rising up against him. Endure, my dear friend. When the world seems to go crazy around you, when it seems like there is a riot of discord and conflict in our country, where are you going to find your place? You're going to find your place in the arms of Christ as he stands at your side, even when you are imprisoned. The third trio is self-inflicted troubles. As it says, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. He worked hard. He lost sleep. And he even was short on food at times. And we may wonder, is it worth it? Is it worth it to deny ourselves those things? I want to counsel you to find your rest in Christ. To find your rest on the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath, the first day of the week. That you would regularly be refreshed in his word and be embraced by the love of a church family. I know a pastor once, a very faithful man, now retired, who served so hard that he told me he got a heart condition and had to retire earlier than I thought he would. So there may be times of intermittent going without sleep, but let us also seek to be those who live for the long haul. Paul was indefatigable. He endured much for the gospel. Verses 6 through 7a Great endurance by the Holy Spirit's graces. Do you see right there in verse number six? By the Holy Spirit, plunked in the middle of this point, is the Holy Spirit that we would not only be saved by him, but that we bear the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of long-suffering, the fruit of kindness, of sincere love, all fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And also, the knowledge that comes by the reading of the word of God that is illumined by the Holy Spirit, by the word of truth, by the power of God. This word of truth is what sustains us from outside. It gives us guidance, and it holds us up when, you, we, when we don't feel it, but we believe it. We don't feel it, but we believe it, and there's a difference. And that the power of God undergirds us when we have lost our strength. If you don't know this power, then ask God for it. As it says in Matthew 11, 11 if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let us exhibit and embrace that character, that character of the fruit of the Spirit and a holding to the truth in a wicked and a first generation. Ask God for the Spirit to do that as a mother, as a father, as a worker, as a neighbor, 
We also endure through righteousness, 7b through 8a. We are accounted righteous by Christ through the truth found in verse 21. We are regarded as righteous, but then we also are built up in righteousness. As it says in, Philippi, as it says in Philippians chapter 1, that the, this righteousness which is accounted to us more and more begins to show forth in us. As we read in verse 11 of Philippians 1, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And when that fruit comes, then, then God's righteousness is like an armor. It's a protective cover. It's a place of security and safety, knowing our identity in Christ. And we are able to develop in that safe space the character and the love that allows us to engage with the world. That we stand firm in the face of both criticism and praise. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the armor there is related to good reports and evil reports by dishonor and honor. As, as we come in this place, we're going to get criticized and we're going to be praised. And the praise needs to be regarded lightly because we are unprofitable servants and we have always got to remember that and that we would not be puffed up also, the, the criticism is going to come, the bad reports, the dishonor, uh, the attacks on the right hand and the left hand. And what will protect us in that day is that we have the righteousness of Christ accounted to us and the righteousness of Christ growing within us as its fruit is more and more evident day by day. So then finally, there are Great, there's great endurance in triumphant paradoxes as deceivers yet true. They called him a deceiver, but he knew he was a true apostle. He was called on the road to Damascus as unknown yet well-known. We're unknown, we're that simple uh, Christian, not notorious or, or noted in any way, but we are known to God. He knows us. We are the apple of his eye. We are dying, and behold, we live. Yes, the outward man is being wasted away. We are dying even under persecution or illness, but the inner man is living and shall be transported to Christ immediately upon our death. We are chastened and yet not killed. Yes, God does take us in hand to teach us things, but he does not kill us. He wants us to thrive. We're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We may be failed by people, but we will rejoice because all things work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. We are poor, yet making many rich. We may not have much money, but we will make others rich in Christ by bringing them the gospel as having nothing and yet possessing all things. We may possess very little in this world, and yet if we seek first the kingdom and his righteous, kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. These paradoxes end up in triumph. 
You too have these blessings. They are not Paul's alone. And as a mother today, God knows your devotion to him and your children. And God raises you to live today unto him, even though the flesh is heir to sickness. Even though we are going through troubles, we are not killed. We are rather taught by his chastening. We rejoice even when sorrow comes. Be a light in your home, dear mothers. And for all of us, come this day to recognize that this is an urgent matter. That we are meant to serve Christ. That we would not be receiving the grace of God in vain. But would rather come to him on that day, that last day, with the fruits of righteousness that come through faith in his name. Let us pray. Lord, bless us today. May we find in you our hope. May we find in you our satisfaction when the world seems against us. May we find, O oh Lord, a sense of urgency to make progress in our life, even as we rest completely and wholly in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.